0: And today we continue our sermon series entitled, God's Promises, as we come to God's promise of rest. Now, I find that rest is something that all of us can get behind, can't we? You see, rest is something that all of us need. Everyone has to have it. In fact, it's something that the majority of us don't get enough of. And truth be told, we can spend lots of money in our efforts to seek it together. All of us like to take much-needed vacations, whether it's to the beach or maybe an all-inclusive cruise or maybe even to a, a remote area, a getaway where you can completely get away from the demands of cell phone towers and internet signals. Maybe, just maybe, instead of taking vacations, your lack of rest comes at the expense of your sleep and maybe that old box spring mattress is not working out for you so maybe you purchase a new memory foam mattress or a sleep number bed in order to get the comfort necessary to give you a good night's sleep. In a world consumed with busyness and production and efficiency and a high demand for us to perform at a high level, it's hard to do these things without proper rest. And if we neglect the need to take care of ourselves, we will burn out from the weight of all the burdens that we carry on a daily basis. You know, Jesus even took time away from the crowds to rest as he would go off to a remote location and spend time in prayer. And the fourth commandment in the book of Exodus reminds us that it's about honoring the Sabbath day in order to keep it holy, for it's a day of rest, reflecting God's own decision to rest on the seventh day of creation. And so today we read Jesus' words from the Gospel of Matthew that invites us to find his rest. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light now according to jesus rest is not found at the beach or on a cruise ship or even in a remote location no true rest is found in him Yet Jesus' definition of rest is very different from our understanding of it, for we define rest as stopping our work in order to refresh ourselves, but Jesus isn't talking about stopping work or even taking a much-needed nap. Actually, he's talking about work as he uses the imagery of taking on a yoke. Today, most farmers use tractors and heavy machinery to plow their fields, but this was not how it was done in Jesus' day. You see, a yoke is a horizontal wooden bar that is laid upon the necks of oxen in developing countries and rural areas, and it harnesses them to a plow. And the oxen are joined together by the yoke in order to plow a field together. And this particular yoke is not light. In fact, it's very heavy and quite burdensome for the animals. Now, Jesus uses this imagery of a yoke as a metaphor to describe his relationship with us. In doing so, he invites us to come to him and to take his yoke upon us, essentially pairing us with him as we do our work together. Now, most farmers would take an inexperienced ox and yoke it with an experienced one, and doing so allowed the experienced ox to help teach the other how to do the work while also carrying most of the load. Jesus knows this, and he tells his hearers that by taking his yoke upon them, that he is willing to do the same. He says that his yoke is easy and that his burden is light, And he's not suggesting that coming to him is a vacation. He's stating that he will help us carry the heavy loads of life. And his comments are for those who find themselves overwhelmed and in need of rest for their souls. There's no doubt that there are always people who are overwhelmed. Many find themselves overwhelmed by the spiritual and physical and emotional burdens of life. In fact, many choose to live their lives without help, thinking that they can overcome their burdens if they just work harder. You see, we live in a culture, and a world of individualism, in which we try to do everything on our own. And somehow, we've come to the conclusion that receiving help is a sign of weakness. Now, I have to be the first to confess that I don't like to admit that I need help. I remember when I was in school, it was always easier for me to do work by myself than with others. I hated group projects, and most often when I would be put into a group project, those who were in my group were lazy, and they never never carried their own load. I felt like I had to carry all the weight by myself, and yet at the end of the day, they got the same grade that I did for doing all the work. Now, as a man this is very hard to admit, I've grown accustomed to doing things on my own. And in my own stubbornness, I will fight with myself for a long time before I ever come to the conclusion that I need to wave the white flag and ask for help. Maybe you can relate to me. But I also find that trying to carry everything on our shoulders can often lead to burnout and to exhaustion. It can be overwhelming and make our lives absolutely miserable. Yet even when it comes to our faith, we can do the same thing. See, Jesus wasn't just talking about the weariness of our jobs or the struggles we encounter with our health or even the financial or familial burdens that we carry He realizes that even our faith can become a burden in our efforts to live as obedient children of God. You see, Jesus had a group of religious leaders who often confronted him about their perceived notions of his lack of obedience to God's law. We know them as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These religious leaders were considered righteous according to the law, and they were quick to point out the failures of others. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, right after our reading today in chapter 12, they confront Jesus for picking grain and healing a man on the Sabbath day, breaking the Sabbath law. They're very good at holding people to account. Or as Jesus later says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Now, following God's laws in perfect obedience is impossible for us, yet we affirm that Jesus is the only one who fulfilled the law in perfect obedience without sinning. But the Jewish understanding of keeping the law is really important for us to understand, for it's the Apostle Paul who says in his letter to the Philippians that as far as righteousness based on the law, that he is, quote, faultless. Now, you and I confess that we are sinners and that we aren't fully obedient to the whole law of God. And it's not that Paul or even the Jewish leaders of his day thought that they were without sin. They knew that they were sinners, but they knew that God's law provided ways for them to be reconciled to God and to the community when they broke his law. Righteousness, according to the law, is doing all the right things that the law demands. Therefore, Paul understood himself to be blameless because he followed God's law to a T. You see, it's kind of like obeying the laws in our own land. Now, I would consider that most of us are law-abiding citizens, but sometimes, honestly, we do break the law. Anyone who's gotten pulled over for speeding has broken the law. Maybe you received a ticket and had to pay a fine to fulfill what the law demanded of you. It's even possible that after doing so, you were able to have that blemish expunged from your record. In doing so, your driving record remains absolutely clean. It's not that you didn't break the law, but you fulfilled your duties to be restored under the law as a citizen in good standing. In a similar way, this is how God's law was obeyed and why Paul declared that he was faultless under the law. You see, the rabbinic tradition had called the people to take on the yoke of the Torah. Now, the Torah is the instruction of all the laws found in the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And in the Old Testament, the yoke is found as a symbol of authority. When one takes a yoke upon him or herself, it serves as a symbol of submitting to that authority. So the Jewish people were called to submit to the authority of God by keeping all of the laws that were found there in the Torah. Then the Pharisees did something in addition to those laws They decided that in order to protect God's laws, that they would create new laws that would provide a fence around these laws that would help keep them from ever breaking them, making it even harder to do. Now, Jesus doesn't eliminate uh, uh, the importance of the law. He doesn't abolish it in any way. Rather, what he does is he interprets the laws according to their original purpose. Jesus himself was a devout Jew, and he went to the temple, and he worshiped in the synagogues, and he obeyed God's law. And he recognizes the religious leaders have become so focused on following the law that they have actually forgotten the law giver. You see, they thought that they could somehow earn God's grace by following God's law. But the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, Verses 21 through 24, he says, So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul's argument in chapter 7 of Romans is that God's law is holy and good and is supposed to direct us to trust God, but that sin can often distort it. A case in point is that Paul persecuted Christians in his zeal for God's law before Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus. In addition, he says that no matter how hard we try to be obedient to the law, we find that our sinful nature is constantly waging war within us, which often leaves us losing many battles. You see, Paul understands sin to be something that lives within us and is not just acts of disobedience. It's much like the shingles virus that remains hidden within our bodies, but it attacks us when it is activated by stress. Now, many scholars speculate whether or not if Paul is speaking about himself here, or if he's being rhetorical in nature, or if this is how he lived prior to his conversion, or even afterwards. Personally, I think that Paul is trying to make the point that we can't follow God faithfully by ourselves. Even if we're considered righteous by following God's law, we've completely missed what matters most I mean, following the law can make us self-righteous before we focus on what we've done and not what God has done. What Paul is really saying here is that the yoke of the Torah has been replaced with the yoke of Jesus Christ. No matter how hard we try to follow God, we can never earn God's grace. We can't do it on our own. And honestly, Paul's message sounds pretty depressing, in fact, almost hopeless. But he gives the bad news first so that the good news can overshadow it. Who will rescue us from our bodies that are subject to death? He says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus' invitation to come to him is an open invitation that invites all of us to recognize that you and I can't do it on our own. He knows that no matter how hard we try, we cannot earn God's grace. It's kind of like trying to climb a mountain made out of sand. The harder we try to climb it, the more we find that we're always standing at the bottom of that mountain. Christ is the way to God, and his invitation to take on his yoke is the grace that we need to live for Christ. And like a participant at an Alcoholics Anonymous gathering, Paul introduces himself in Romans 7 saying, Hi, I'm Paul, a sinner who needs the grace of Jesus Christ. We too must acknowledge this important truth. Because in doing so and accepting the yoke of Christ, we live as redeemed children of God who are righteous not because of the law, but because of what Christ has done for us. And when we receive Christ's yoke, his grace that holds us close to him, the burdens of being overwhelmed are lifted off our shoulders and they are placed upon his. We receive rest for our weary souls as we learn to lean on Christ, letting him help us carry the burdens that we face in life together. You see, he calls us to learn from him, not just about him, but to learn from him so that we can follow in his way. And as we do so, our load gets lighter. But the inherent danger, obviously, is reverting back to our old ways. Somehow thinking that if we just try harder, we can make God love us more. Or if we try harder, we can somehow make up for the failures of our past. It's not about trying harder. It's about acknowledging our need for Christ's grace and accepting it by being yoked with him. It's very important that we understand that just because we're yoked with Christ doesn't mean that all of our burdens will magically disappear. It means that we have someone who's experienced all of life's burdens himself in the driver's seat right next to us, helping us carry them. It means that we have a deliverer, a good shepherd who leads us in green pastures and beside still waters and even in the valleys of the shadows of death. In doing so, Jesus restores our souls. So, friends, I ask you today. Are you carrying heavy burdens? Are you trying to climb a mountain of sand only to find that you're getting nowhere? If so, Jesus invites you to come, to come to him and to receive his rest. I encourage you to accept his yoke, his grace for you that you may learn from him And find rest for your weary souls. For his yoke is easy, and his burden is indeed light. And his promise of rest, his promise is for you, if you're willing to accept it and to receive his yoke. Friends, may we do so this day and forevermore.